Thank you, Tegan, and the team for leading us in worship. Thank you to everyone for uh, just the opportunity to share with you today, and it's great to sing the songs we've sung, affirming the power in the name of Jesus. But I'm going to say up front that probably halfway through my sermon, you know how those inflatable castles they use at kids', kids um, parties, how it gets bigger and bigger? There may be developing in the early part of my sermon an elephant's going to develop in the room which I'm going to name and deal with as I affirm the power that is in the name of Jesus. So uh, we'll deal with that when it come, comes to that, but it's, it's just great to, uh, to be part of this series on um, swords and spears, on spiritual warfare, on the power of God, who Jesus is, who Satan is, how he's a defeated foe, and uh, we walk in that victory. And over the next four weeks, we'll be looking at uh, four of the weapons that are part of our, our warfare, our spiritual warfare, the name of Jesus, which we're looking at this morning, the word of God, community and belonging to one another, and uh, the blood of Jesus and those weapons. And we'll be looking at that over the next, next counting this week, four weeks. So uh, and I get the privilege of speaking uh, on the power that we have in the name of Jesus. Our names are very significant. I know I have a reputation for sometimes not always remembering names. It took me uh, 18 months to start to feel like I could just confidently walk up to people and start to say their names. They became scrambled for a while as I became overwhelmed with the number of names. But I remember as a 10 or 11 year old, one of my uncles who was a, a primary school principal in Melbourne, he used to call in and stay at a, on the farm where I grew up. And I remember in, in, in my hearing as an 8 or 10 uh, uh, a 10 or 11 year old, he asked my mother, has Robin ever resented his name? Because it's a girl's name. And uh, I as an 8, uh, 11, 10 or 11 year old, I had never ever thought of that. I just thought I was Robin. And fortunately I was secure enough not to be too troubled. Um, I used to sometimes get mail that would say Miss Robin Carter and that used to trouble me a little bit. But names... But names are important, and they do mean something. And uh, I know when my first wife and I, uh, we were naming our daughters, we had three daughters, we consciously made a decision. We would give them a, a biblical name, and we would give them just a name that was in popular vogue, or not necessarily popular, but one that we liked that wasn't necessarily a biblical name. And our eldest daughter is Haley Ruth, and our middle daughter is Narelle Miriam, and our youngest daughter, and some of you may know some of my daughters, uh, is Rachel Sue. And we consciously uh, just wanted to have a biblical name and a name. And I, in hindsight, as a pastor, 30 years down the track, I'm thinking there's something very incarnational about that. There's God and the reality of life, and you kind of, the two have got to blend together and work together. And so that was part of how we named our daughters. And we didn't always look at a lot of what the name might have meant. We just chose those names because of various reasons, which I won't spend time uh, talking about this morning. But in biblical times, very much a name was shaped by events that were happening in the lives of the parents or things that God had done or things that were going to be done through the person whom sometimes God himself had, uh, had told people who, what the name should be. Rebecca, my wife, uh, apparently literally means tied up or better, more positively, secure. 
Rebecca used to think it meant a temptress, so she's been telling me that, but in preparing um, attempted by beauty or something, I can identify with that, but um, in terms of uh, Rebecca uh, is a name that in a Hebrew has the idea of being secure. Someone can be trusted. David means beloved of God, and we have David's a very uh, a name that is uh, used quite a lot, but it means beloved, someone who is loved by God. Elizabeth uh, is, has uh, uh, the wife of Aaron, uh, means uh, my God is an oath or the assurance of what God would do. Hannah has the idea, and I won't go through the, uh, the um, 3,200 names that are listed in the Bible, but just a few of them. Hannah has the meaning of favour or grace, the mother of Samuel. Some of them occurred many times in the Bible, some just occurred sometimes. Adam, mankind or man. Daniel means a judge or the idea of God himself. Phoebe, a woman that Paul sent with the book of Romans to take to Rome, uh, is, means bright and pure and has that meaning. Abraham is the meaning of a high father or the father of many. And then we come to the name of Jesus and we ask ourselves, it's a very common name that was very popular in Jesus' time. It wasn't that he had a unique name that suddenly meant something new, but uh, the name of Jesus came and for us has huge significance and association of what that name means. But in its uh, Jewish uh, and Hebrew um, origins, it comes from uh, the Yeshua, or the name uh, that refers to God, meaning to save. And Jesus comes from a Greek translation of the Aramaic uh, Yeshua, um, which was the real name of Jesus. He would have been called Yeshua in, in, in biblical times, is the idea of the one who came to save. Jesus means saviour, the one who is our saviour. And the word Christ uh, is, again, um, anoint, is the means anointed, and in the Greek, is the Greek word for uh, the Hebrew Messiah. So Jesus Christ, the Saviour who is Messiah, and the, and the word Messiah occurs 514 times in the, in the New Testament. Jesus, as a name, we've come to associate with those things. He is our Saviour, He is our Messiah, He is the one who has come to save, and that's what we associate with His name. And the significance of Jesus' name is because of who he is and uh, what he has done and the authority has been forgiven and been, been given. And as we look at the power that is in the name of Jesus, I'm going to just draw attention to a couple, there's many verses that could be used to refer to each of these, that the power that is in the name of Jesus, when we speak the name of Jesus with faith, is, comes from, first of all, of who he is. In Colossians 2.9, it says, All the fullness of the deity of God himself lives in bodily form in the person of Jesus as he walked this earth. And then um, in Hebrews 1 verse 3, which is on the screen, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, of the majesty, uh, of his majesty on high. Who he is shapes very much the power that is in his name. In John 1 verse 1, the word became flesh. The eternal Logos became flesh uh, and dwelt among us. Jesus is God in our midst. He was physically then, 
by his spirit now. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus who indwells our hearts. Secondly, the power that's in the name of Jesus comes from what he has done. Again, many verses that could be referred to, but 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul was defending the gospel against people who had said the resurrection's already occurred and uh, everything should be as it will be in the future. And in defending the gospel, in verses 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, For what I received I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according uh, to the Scriptures. And we've just celebrated Easter in the most powerful way that I've ever celebrated Easter on Good Friday, on Easter Sunday, a sense of celebration of the living Christ, the one who gave his life, who rose again for our salvation. He lived and died and rose again. He's at the right hand of the Father. And Dave drove it home how he's interceding for us when the Satan is accusing us before the Father. Jesus is there. He's our advocate saying, but I have died uh, for, uh, for Lauren and for... I could go through all your names and Jesus would be appealing um, to the Father on your behalf. What a powerful name it is that Jesus, the living God in our midst, is our advocate before the Father. And so because of everything that Jesus has done and is doing, there is power in the name of Jesus. And if you're thinking of someone who is unwell or somebody who's challenged about life, whose circumstances are not what they should be, you might be starting to think there's some questions that you're starting to raise if there's all this power in the name of Jesus. That inflatable castle is starting to blow up a little bit. Finally, in terms of the power in the name of Jesus comes from what? He has done. And we've already touched on that. Uh, sorry, in terms of the authority that he has been given. And again, multiple verses that could be uh, read this morning to, him, to drive home the authority that Jesus has and who he is. In Matthew 28, and it should be on your screen, verses 18 and 20, and Jesus uh, came and spoke to them, speaking of his disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then in obedience to the authority of Jesus, we don't have all the authority on heaven and earth. Jesus has all the authority and he commands us to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And here's something which we are working on as Hills Baptists and here at Verdun, teaching people to observe all that I've commanded you. And Jesus promised, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is the one with all authority. And we, when we hear the word of God through his written word, by his spirit prompting us and speaking to us, we go in obedience to him and do the things that he calls us to do. A couple of other verses that I won't read the whole verses, but just the many references to the authority that Jesus has. All things have been handed over to me by the Father. God highly exalted him in Philippians 2.19 and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. In 1 Peter 3, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. John 3.35, the Father loves the Son, has given all things into his hand. Incredible authority that Jesus has and we can speak in his name. In Isaiah, and just to keep inflating that figurative elephant in the room, as we think about the realities of life, we can, uh, Jesus said, ask anything in my name 
and I will do it. And then in Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5, it says, By his stripes we are healed. Surely he has taken... Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And a very strong verse that creates a challenge for us when we face the realities of life sometimes. By his wounds we are healed. In power is in the name of Jesus. We sing songs. We've touched on them this morning. All God's promises are yes and amen. amen. It will be done in Jesus' name. Another song says, I am healed in Jesus' name. And we sing those songs with a great sense of faith and confidence in who Jesus is and what he has promised that he will do. So let me name the elephant in the room. I will say that all of you know someone who has been prayed for in Jesus' name, been prayed for by people who have faith in who Jesus is and what he has done, and for some reason, they haven't been healed. I've had two friends who have passed away, who had people of great faith. I don't consider myself a person of great faith. I don't believe I have the the gift of healing as a prayer that every time I pray, people are going to be healed. But the people I'm speaking of, a young mum with a young daughter who passed away. And because her friends had uh, said to her that you cannot admit that you're dying because that shows lack of faith, she barely said goodbye to her daughter. She had to believe that God would heal her and she she lived in denial of the reality of what was happening uh, to her. My first wife, despite many prayers, passed away from pancreatic cancer. She was given uh, three months by the doctors. There are a couple of things happened within a few days that were, if you like, things that had they not been dealt with, she may have only had a few weeks rather than in months. But God gave her a year, but she wasn't healed from the pancreatic cancer. What is God doing? It's the elephant in the room. We sing these songs, we quote these verses, we declare what we believe is true and right, and we believe the scriptures are true. Either God's a liar or we've misunderstood some of the things that we uh, expect God to do uh, in in response uh, to our our prayers. And uh, we will well ask the question, when things don't happen that the scriptures clearly uh, promise will happen, is it a lack of faith on on the prayer's part? Is it lack of faith on the person being prayed for? Is it that God hasn't chosen to heal this person Is it that God ordained it for the person's character development? What is going on when we see uh, the reality that no matter how much faith people have when they pray, for some reason, the things don't happen as we would love them to happen and as if we have a simplistic uh, uh, application of what we believe God is saying, we will be left with these questions. And we either live in denial of reality or we face reality and wrestle with what God is saying. And Dave and I have talked this over, we've talked it over with Mark, some of the staff around this issue of um, what what is the response? How do we understand this in the light of the power that is in the name of Jesus? And the first thing that I want to say that as a church, Hills Baptist declares there is power in the name of Jesus. No apology about that. Everything that the scripture says is true. But as we affirm the power that is in the name of Jesus, the first thing that I think helps us 
as we look at the whole of Scripture and look at what the Scriptures are saying, and it should be on your screen, is the whole idea of the now and not yet of God's kingdom. The kingdom is present now. Jesus walked this earth. He said the kingdom is among you. He was doing miracles. He was doing things that showed the manifest power of God and showed that the kingdom of God was present. But it wasn't there in the fullness and everything hasn't been uh, done as it will be done in the resurrection. We live in the now and not yet. God does do miracles. God does do good things. I've heard three stories in the last couple of days of powerful things that God has done in transforming lives, in bringing uh, a degree of healing to someone. It was shared last night at the worship, uh, at the worship and, and prayer night. There is the now of what God does, but we need to also realise that we live in the not yet. There were false teachers that Paul dealt with in 1 Corinthians 15 who said the resurrection has happened. Everything that is promised in the resurrection should happen now because the kingdom of God is present. Where God is, everything that reflects who God is uh, will, uh, will take place. But it was unbiblical and it's, uh, it's not what uh, the scriptures are saying. That the fullness of the resurrection, complete healing... All pain, all tears, all sorrow will only be totally uh, dealt with in the resurrection. And we need to realise if we're going to, if you like, uh, allow uh, God's word to be true, the realities of life to be true, and to uh, um, see, and see God's hand at work, we need to live in the now and not yet of God's kingdom. As we pray for people, believing that Jesus is who he is, that he's done what he's done, Let's pray and, and believe that God can do things. But let's not destroy people pastorally or spiritually by giving them a false hope that everything that's promised in the resurrection will happen right now when I pray for you, uh, whether it be uh, cancer or whether it be a difficult life ex circumstance, whether it be for your marriage, whether it be for uh, um, poverty in the world, whatever it is. We will see God's kingdom break in uh, to some degree we have a foretaste of what God wants to do in its fullness in the resurrection and we pray and long for that. And I think a good summary of that is in Romans 8, 22 to 24. I think it takes on meaning. I've seen this in your life. I've experienced it as I watched my wife, my first wife, over one year suffer and die from pancreatic cancer. Paul says, we know that the whole creation and each of us here has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? So while we pray and long for God to do things, and he will and does do things, we live in the hope and, and the longing and we ache and we wrestle and often our prayers and agonising before God for the healing of someone is our very expression of this passage in Romans where we long for the fullness of what God has promised uh, in, uh, in, in the resurrection. And I think we just need to, with different teachings that come around and Paul had to deal with super apostles who came in and made him look weak because he was, they made him, described him as someone who wasn't a super personality and <clears throat> he had suffered sickness, sickness himself, even close to death. And there'd be super apostles who would come in and try to undermine his ministry, undermine his authority as he preached the gospel of grace. 
proclaimed who Jesus was and the super apostles will try and say, well, the supernatural's not present until our certain brand of supernatural is happening in your church. They won't say that, but they'll make you feel like God's presence and God's spirit and God's power isn't in your life, isn't in your church until our brand of uh, the supernatural is happening. There's a uh, Christian cancer clinic in, in America, a uh, very large clinic that deals with uh, hundreds of people in terms of uh, just caring for them uh, in, often in their last part of their lives. And they did some research over a period of time and it didn't matter whether they did the stats on, on the healings that took place. It didn't matter whether it was a humble uh, person praying quietly and just believing God and even praying if it, whatever is your will, those kind of prayers which get repudiated by some people. But yet Jesus prayed that in the garden. He said, not my will, but your will be done. Whether someone just prayed quietly or whether someone with hyper faith who believed that everything should happen now and prayed with great authority... The amount of healings were the same despite how they prayed. The stats on the healings were, much, were, were basically the same. And so the thing is we pray, we believe, we expect God to do things, but we also realise that we live in the not yet. And I want to ask you, and our role as pastors to help you be mature and to think for yourselves. When you're looking at teaching or conferences or things to go to, Look at what they are saying. Are they saying that, you know, are they too much on the extreme of everything should happen now or are they too much on the extreme? And I grew up in this, in this extreme where basically the kingdom was all future and I asked what are the parables about and they said it's all about what happens in the, in the thousand year reign of Christ and there was no sense of the kingdom present now. And then I've also had people close to me who would say, well, look, the kingdom's here in its fullness. Wherever God is, everything that is in God's presence now should be as it is now. You do your own assessment of who you listen to, who you uh, take on board as people who are speaking into your spirituality in your life. There's the now and not yet. To overemphasize one or the other is damaging pastorally and spiritually in people's lives. I mentioned my friend who denied that uh, she was even dying until it was uh, too late to say goodbye to her daughter. And the whole pastoral thing, if we overemphasize the not yet as though it should all be present, if we go the other extreme, that's where churches are often dead. There's no expectancy of God doing anything. We're a church who believes and expects that God will do things and will act. But we live in that, I call it a holy tension a holy kingdom tension between the now and not yet of God's kingdom. The other thing that I would affirm that is the position of Hills Baptist Church, that Satan is defeated, but not everything that is bad is of Satan. I'm a bit overweight because I make bad choices. I'm not as fit as I should be because I don't get up at five o'clock and go for an hour's run uh, before, um, yeah, before I, I start the day. They are choices. I can't say that it's demonic that I'm a bit overweight or that it's demonic that I'm a little... It's Satan's fault. I have to take responsibility for that. And uh, Dave's clapping. I think, uh, I think he wants me to get fitter and, and less fatter. But do you get my point? There are things that happen in our lives. Poverty in the world. We wrestle against principalities and powers. But there's enough food in the world to feed people. God's kingdom, God's justice could be manifest in the world if humanity was less selfish. We didn't live for our own 
kingdoms and our own nation and, and we were generous as a nation. And Australia is one that's violating God's kingdom principles in terms of the aid budgets, the lowest it's ever been. God's kingdom can be manifest in the world when we, when we are generous and express God's heart to our brothers and sisters around the world. And so there are many things that we can't blame Satan for, but he will take advantage of. It says, don't let the sun go down on your anger because it gives a foothold to Satan. So Satan can fuel the things that, uh, that uh, are just human temptations and your own sinfulness. But don't blame Satan. Take responsibility. Make choices to honour a holy God, to live for him and to be the kind of person uh, that, that he, that he wants, wants you to be. Ephesians 6 verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Satan is a defeated foe. When you're tempted to look at that porn site again, don't shout and blame Satan. You might want to say to Satan, uh, just say, excuse me, do you remember what happened at Easter? And just remind him that Satan's a defeated foe because he will encourage you in whatever sin it is. When you've got anger bubbling up in your heart and Satan might want to encourage that anger or you are in a spiritual battle uh, where you know that there is the demonic present, then you claim the power of Jesus and, and declare his victory, which is basically, it's, it's so complete and full that we don't have to shout and rant to make it, to make it real. We just declare the name of Jesus and pray and declare uh, what he has done, that Satan is a defeated foe and Satan has to flee. Jesus used the word of God and we'll be looking at uh, other aspects of dealing with Satan over the next two or three weeks. And before I close in a moment, I just want to say we often focus on the power of God and our minds immediately go to issues of, I think God is, the technology is trying to tell me to stay right where I am. Um, <laughs> We need to understand that the power of God isn't just there for physical healing. Often that's the first thing that comes to our mind. But there are other purposes for God's power. And I'm going to read a couple of scriptures as I just highlight a couple of things. God's power at his work is at work in your life for you to know more and more the amazing and amazing love and grace that God has for you. In Ephesians 3, it says, uh, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you are called, the riches of the glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and has seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age but in the age have come and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything in the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way the power of God is at work in you to help you realize more and more how incredibly loved you are by God the second thing is the power of God is also there to give us power to be content in all circumstances and often misquoted verses I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and it can often be focused around our own ego, our own uh, business we want to run, our own church and the kingdom we want to build if we are focused on the church as, a, as something that we think is ours and not Christ's. But Paul says where that verse is, 
the context of that verse, Philippians 4, 11 to 13, Paul said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he says, I can do all this or all things through him who gives me strength. The strength and the power that God gives us is to be content whether we find a facility to build as a church, we can be content as God's people. Whether we, <coughs> as individuals, whether we're in a season of blessing or whether we're in a season of difficulty and trouble, we can learn to be content in God and who he is and what he has done uh, for us and for his presence with us in the midst of our circumstances. And just, I could go on with others, but just another one, that another focus of the power of God is to sustain us in suffering. There's a term called triumphalism, which speaks of uh, teaching and churches that think you should always be victorious and living on top of everything and that there will be nothing that will ever cause you uh, to suffer in any way. But again, to read the scriptures, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, for because of these, uh, Paul was speaking of himself. He had had amazing revelations from God about, uh, from heaven itself. He says, because of these surpassing great revelations, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. The power of God is at work to give you uh, the power and sustain you in the midst of the challenges that life may bring. I'd like to invite the band to come as I finish with a strong affirmation uh, that because of Christ's power at work in us, let us always be people who pray. Because when we pray, we, need, we believe that there is power in the name of Jesus and that God can and does heal God can and does change circumstances, but they will not always change in the way that we would hope. And there are times where we see great blessing. There's times we need sustaining to live with what life deals with us. When we pray, we want to be praying for each other because it brings the, God's presence and power into the situation. Whatever it is, it brings God's presence to the person uh, or situation that you're praying for. It communicates incredible love and support. When you pray for someone, when you gather around and lay hands on people and pray for them, it communicates incredible love and support and surrounds people with hope. God can and will and sometimes does do amazing things, but even in the light of all his promises, by his stripes we are healed. Absolutely true, 100% all the time. Some now, some in the resurrection. In the blood of Christ, we are all fully healed and some of it can happen now but some of it will only be in the resurrection. God's word is true, either God's a liar or his word is true and we have that affirmation. So let's be a people who pray for one another. We see the power and the kingdom of God breaking in more and more and we see people coming to faith. Let's pray and then we'll, I'll hand back to the team and if people, uh, if you have some situation that you would like prayer for, there'll be people to pray for you during the last song. If you'd like to come quietly forward, then there'll be people who will pray, pray with you. Father, we ask that we will be a people of prayer, 
that we will believe in the power that is in your name, that we will see your kingdom come more and more. And Father, that we will be people who of maturity and, and, and grace and love that will see your kingdom manifest and that people will be drawn to you as they experience your love in an amazing way. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.